Hello, in this episode, Nat Chalmshire and Conrad HN delve a little into history to explore how the monastic Sutrayana view in Buddhism became the prevalent one. Good morning, Rinpoche and Kandra Echen. Can I start today by asking you to say something about how Sutrayana came to dominate Buddhism as it developed in Tibet um, and in the West? This is really rather a long story, but there's no way to understand it without going back into history and seeing how uh, the whole thing evolved. You see, in India at the time of the Mahasiddhas, uh, Vajrayana was what occurred outside the monasteries, and that all the Mahasiddhas like uh, Yotilopa, Naropa, Virupa, they all left the monastery in order to practice Vajrayana. Now, of course, in Tibet, that changed in the second spread. There was the first spread when Gurumbache came to Tibet and established Vajrayana there, and the whole thing worked in one particular way. Uh, but then th there were the assassinations of Ralpachen by his brother, and then, Ral and then Langdama, his brother, was assassinated, and Tibet fell into warring principalities, each with its own king or prince. Um, that lasted for something like a hundred years. Um, in that time, um, uh, the Gurkha Changlode continued. They had been persecuted by Langdama, which is why he came to be assassinated. Uh, and so a lot of the monasteries were destroyed, the, the monastic institutions were disbanded, but the Gurkha Changlode continued in more or less the same way. Now, when Changchub Erd and Yeshe Erd, uh, who are not quite understood as to whether they were uncle and nephew or grandfather and grandson, but whoever, they wished to reunite Tibet. And the only way to do that in religious terms, because they were both monks, uh, was to invite a teacher from India that was the only way they could gain respect from everybody. So they invited Atisha. Uh, they wanted Atisha only to teach Sutrayana. Atisha uh, uh, naturally refused and said, you can either have the entire Dharma or nothing. Uh, so they made a compromise with him that Vajrayana would only be taught inside the monasteries and kept secret. Uh, he agreed to this, but there was a problem involved with that in as much as it was the exact opposite model to how Vajrayana started. It did not start inside the monastic institutions. It's, it happened outside the monastic institutions, and it's not really completely suited to monastic organizations. And so to make it work, uh, can be rather confusing. So uh, the Gurkha Changlode then um, continued as they always had continued and were thus persecuted for it because they were going against the wishes of Changchup Erd and Yeshi Erd in terms of practicing Vajrayana outside the monasteries. Now, 
the reason why uh, Changchub Erd and Yeshe Erd didn't want Vajrayana teaching in Tibet is because Vajrayana is fundamentally anarchic, uh, in as much as um, every lama is the king or queen of his or her own domain of students. Everybody looks to the lama, and so it doesn't necessarily get on very well with hierarchic religious power. It doesn't work with that. You can't really have a religious hierarchy and Vajrayana. If you try to do so, there will be problems. When you take empowerment, for example, from the Lama, the Lama has to be regarded as a realized being. Now, if your Lama is part of a hierarchy, and there are other higher lamas, how does that work in terms of their realization? Are, are they enlightened plus? Or, or how does that work? You see, it can't really work. So if you want to have um, a hierarchy with a lama at the top who's the head of the whole country, and uh, issue uh, various decrees about how things work, and those decrees conflict with people lower in the hierarchy, then there's a problem, which is why there has been all the sectarian strife there has been in Tibet, and that eventually led to the Chinese invasion of Tibet. Um, I won't go into a long story about that, it's not necessary, but. Um, so Sutrayana came to dominate Vajrayana because of this being enshrined in monasteries and because it had to have the appearance of Vajrayana. At first, uh, in the early days of the second spread, the inner tantras were outlawed. They weren't allowed to be taught at all and it was the death penalty for practicing them or teaching them. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of the inner Tantra, uh, when it was taught, came to be taught in the outer clothing of outer Tantra. Uh, and this has led to people becoming rather confused in certain ways about what things are. For example, in the Kala Chakra Tantra, the monks uh, all wear face masks when making the uh, mandala. Uh, so that their impure breath doesn't touch the mandala. And of course, that works in terms of outer tantra, but not in terms of inner tantra, because everything within the inner tantras transcends this pure, impure dichotomy. So you get these contradictions that occur. Uh, also, uh, in terms of keeping Vajrayana within the monasteries, those who practice it outside are necessarily disparaged. And so the Gurkha Changode have been disparaged for that reason. Uh, and it's entirely political in its origin. Uh, what it is now is hard to say because it's become part of culture and people find it difficult to tease it apart and find out what is what in that arrangement. 
One of the um, criticisms of the Gurkha Changode is this village Nakpa uh, title, that these people are no more than um, village um, shaman and that their spiritual practice is fairly worthless. And as Kunzang Dozhi Rinpoche has often said about this, you know, why do you disparage a, a village Nakpa? He or she is a person who helps people. They help the villagers. They actually have some spiritual power. And he said, look at the lower order of monks. They are far lower than the village Nakpa. You get the Dobdobs, you know, policemen who have no spiritual practice at all. You get cleaners. You now get business monks. We saw a few at the Hyatt sporting Rolex, uh, Rolex wristwatches uh, and eating expensive food. These are hardly renunciates. And so to disparage village Nakpas, he, he, he was really quite annoyed about this, uh, especially about the title. He said, what do you call them when they live in towns? Are they then town Nakpas? Or if they live in cities, are they city Nakpas? He, he was completely derisory about the whole idea. So, um, you know, in academic circles, we've found uh, statements to the effect that almost all Nakpas are village Nakpas. But this is also completely ludicrous because you get Nakpas right up to the highest level. In fact, every version of a monk or nun you can find, you can find a Nakpa or Nakma who occupy the same position from being the heads of lineages, to being incarnations, to being uh, kempos, that is academics. You find Nakpas in all those positions. So, um, you know, this is completely ludicrous to say that most of them are village Nakpas. Not that there's anything wrong with village Nakpas anyway. Uh, I'm sorry if that was rather a long spiel. I've tried to contract it. There's a lot I've left out of this because to encapsulate a thousand years of history is not actually that simple. Is, is part of the prevalence of the Sutric view simply because it was what was encountered first in the West? Oh, certainly. I mean, um, uh, Buddhism, uh, the Buddhism that was first uh, discovered in the West was that of Southeast Asia, the Theravadan system. That's what we got to know as Buddhism. Then we got to know the Buddhism of Japan, Zen. And so the last to be discovered was Vajrayana Buddhism. And initially, because we thought that Theravada was Buddhism, that anything else had to be a corrupted version of it. And so Vajrayana struggled in the West for quite some years under all kinds of misapprehensions from people that I think L.A. Waddell, uh, who was a British, I think he was a captain uh, in the army. He, this was at the end of the 1800s, I think. Was it earlier? Do you, do you remember? I'm not sure. L.A. Waddell. Well, he wrote a book called Lamaism, the Buddhism of Tibet, and he coined this word Lamaism or Lamaism. And he described it as uh, um, Tibetan uh, demonology with a thin veneer of Mahayana Buddhism. Mm. 
and this is what people thought for a long period of time. Uh, whereas almost the exact reverse is true because um, Vajrayana came to be fairly dominated by Sutra in Tibet in the second spread. Uh, but this is more or less what people thought. Um, he also had a strange uh, division of Buddhism into Tibet. Uh, he imagined that Tsongkhapa was a reformer, uh, a reformer like you know, Calvin or Martin Luther. And he saw him as the reformer of Tibetan Buddhism as a whole. But this is entirely untrue. Tsongkhapa was the reformer of the Kadam school, which is why um, the um, Geluks uh, were originally called the New Kadampas, because he'd reformed the Kadam school. This then led to Waddell speaking of the Geluk school as the reformed school, the Kagyus and the Sakyas as the semi-reformed, and the Nyingmas as the unreformed. And this bore no relation at all to anything. Uh, he didn't quite describe what semi-reformed meant. Uh, it, it could have alluded to the level of monasticism that existed, but then that doesn't really apply to the Sakyas or the Kagyus at all, because they're entirely uh, or, or predominantly monastic schools. They do have Nakpas, but not as many as the Nyingma have. Um, they also talked about the yellow hats and the red hats, which is uh, a term that Tibetans never use. They don't divide the schools in that way at all. Um, there is no red hat school. There is no yellow hat school. The Gelugs do wear yellow hats, but they never called themselves the yellow hat school. Mm. So there were all these misunderstandings that actually existed for quite a long time and actually haven't even died out yet. You can still find people who make references to what Waddell wrote, you know, a hundred years ago. Um, so this is part of how we see Buddhism. Um, people assume that Buddhists are vegetarian, which is entirely untrue. I mean, there was a whole uh, furore in the Tricycle magazine once where people were saying, you know, unless you're vegetarian, you can't call yourself a Buddhist. And this was uh, vaguely stupid because you're saying, well, well that gets rid of um, nine-tenths of the Tibetan population then. They can't call themselves Buddhists because Tricycle magazine has issued its edict that they're not. Um, people, uh, in fact, one of the main problems of the world is people thinking they know things when they don't know anything about a subject. Um, I'm really reticent uh, at making any absolute statement about anything concerning Tibet because there's always an exception somewhere. There's always a different way of doing something that you can't really absolutely state anything, you know, in terms of lineage or in terms of, you know, uh, differences in emphasis. Mm. 